right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, good. I'm dealing with the crud just like everybody else here. So y'all bear with me on my voice. I've been through one message. Prayerfully, I'll get through the second one. Amen. Uh, so why don't you get your Bible and open up with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is where we're going to be landing uh, today. While you're turning there, let me just kind of remind you of a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, a couple of weeks ago, we participated in our big give, which is our annual uh, one-time offering. Uh, all the resources going to big give are going right into our local community to help care for needy families in our area. And uh, up to date, I uh, just want to give you a little report, over uh, 230 families have given to the big give, which has been great. And uh, $218,000 have been raised uh, for our community in the big give. So we can celebrate uh, that today. Absolutely. Also, if, you, if you've not been uh, able to give or you would like to give a seal, you can do that from now to the end of the year. And we'd encourage you to do that. Just indicate on your gift that it's for the big give, and we will put it toward that. Uh, also, we have, you may not know, but we've had um, over 500 people over the course of this year, at some point in a service, raise their hand to pray to receive Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Over 500 people have prayed to receive Christ. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so what we want to do is help you take the next step. Maybe that's you. Maybe you prayed to receive Christ, but you've not been baptized. Well, we want to encourage you to do that. Every believer needs to be baptized. And, and if you've come to Christ, but you've never been baptized, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. That will happen on December the 16th. Uh, in just three weeks, we're going to have an opportunity for you to be baptized in a special service. Man, baptism around here is crazy. We just celebrate, we cheer, and we, we just, we believe if heaven is celebrating, we should celebrate too. And so it's going to be great. So we have a table in the lobby. If you would like information about that, you want to sign up for that, you just have questions about it, we have some information we can give you, but we would love for you to be baptized. So if you have not, you need to be, then just uh, hit that table in the lobby uh, before you leave today. Okay. Yeah, I remember several years ago, I uh, was uh, standing in Tiananmen Square in Beijing, China. And there were lots of people there. I was with a group of people. We had a guide with us. And I remember asking the guide, is this the place where Tank Man took his stand? And when I asked the question, the guy put his finger over his lips and said, not now. I'll talk about it when we get to the bus. If you recall, Tank Man was the name of a man that was part of a pro, there were several students that were doing a pro-democracy uh, demonstration in Tiananmen Square. This was back in 1989 when uh, the Chinese government sent in tanks to squelch the, the uh, demonstration. And this one young student stood his ground in front of a line of tanks. In fact, this is a picture of it right there. Uh, this one image really went viral all over the world, uh, and I think it was a British tabloid that named him Tank Man. Uh, they named him that because nobody really knows his name or where he's from or really what happened to him. Uh, but it was a picture of courage standing your ground against un unbeatable odds, and uh, it, it stirred up uh, a desire uh, to, um, you know, advocate democracy all over the world. Some of you may have been watching the news uh, just this week of John Chow. John Chow is a young, uh, uh, I started to say college student, he's just graduated from college in his young 20s, had a heart for the world, heart for missions. 
And uh, he just this week paddled out to an unreached people group that is in uh, the Sentinel Island just off the coast of India. And in his attempt to share the gospel with these uh, unreached people, tribal people who were known to be violent people, uh, he died. And uh, some fishermen saw uh, some of the tribal men burying his body in the shore. He was a man who had a conviction and had great courage. In fact, uh, one of his best friend, Bob Parks, said this about him. He said, I never have known a more courageous, selfless, compassionate man or friend. You know, I tell you those stories because they have something in common, and that is they're people that are courageous. People that have stood their ground against all odds. Uh, I was reminded just this morning about uh, George uh, Bush uh, Sr., who passed away uh, this week at the age of 94. When he was running for office for the first time, uh, he, uh, the Newsweek posted a picture of him, and it said the headline was, Fighting the Wimp Factor. And uh, they thought he was too much of a wimp to actually lead the known world. Of course, now we know in retrospect that he was a courageous leader that stood against all odds, especially during the Operation Desert Storm in leading our country well. Uh, you know, the, these are men that are courageous men, men that stand their ground. And I, we would like to think, or at least I would like to think, that I've got a little bit of a tank man in me, right? That when push comes to shove, when crisis happens, man, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be courageous, right? We like to think that we would do that, but we're not really sure because, you know, it's hard to be courageous, isn't it? It's hard to stand your ground when everybody else says to do something different. It's hard to stand for what's right. It's hard to go against the odds. I don't care if you're an eighth grader, if you're dealing with peer pressure, or if you're in the boardroom. It's hard to say no to what everyone else is saying yes to, and to stand your ground and do the right thing, or face unbeatable odds, and to trust God with it. But really, this story that we're reading today is a story about a man who did just that. It's about a man who trusted God and acted courageously in his moment in time. And his decision changed the world. So I want you to look at it with me. I'm talking about Joseph, the uh, father, the earthly father of Jesus Christ. And we find his story in Matthew chapter 1. So let's look at it. Verse 18. Uh, this is the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now I want you to look at verse 20, and I want you to circle the three words, do not fear. Do not fear. 
The angel told Joseph, Joseph, this is not a time to be fearful. It's not a time to back away. It's not a time to uh, play it safe. This is a time to be courageous. Do not fear. I've been told that the words fear not or do not fear appear 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the week. I've actually tried to research to see if that's true. I cannot confirm or deny the fact of that, all right? But it's cool to think about it, isn't it? That God over and over and over tells us to not fear, in fact, to be courageous. It reminds me of what God told Joshua when he was taking his first stand. He said this, Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Listen, it takes courage to go God's way. It takes courage to go God's way. I believe that's what the whole message of Joseph is about. It takes courage to go God's way. And, and if you desire to walk with God, you're going to face times in your life when you face this decision, how, which way am I going to go? Am I going to go God's way or my way? God's way or the crowd way? God's way or the culture way? But I'm going to have to make a courageous choice to go God's way. I'm going to have to choose to go God's way. I'm going to have to choose to go God's way even though people tell me to be quiet and not talk about Jesus. I'm going to have to choose to go God's way even though it might risk uh, cause me to risk. <clears throat> I may choose to go God's way even though I have to stand alone in the crowd. I may have to choose to go God's way when I, when I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And I can't anticipate the next turn. It takes courage to go God's way. And Joseph really exemplified a lot of courage. Now you might not think about that. You may not think of Joseph as a guy that exemplified courage. Uh, but yet, that's exactly what he did. And then, so let me kind of unpack this story for you so you can understand the gravity of the courage that Joseph exemplified. You know, when you look at this story, beginning verse 18, what, what we find out is that Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Now, now, marriage in those days had three stages. There was the engagement period, which oftentimes was when parents would choose a spouse for their children. By the way, I'm all for this. I think we should bring this back. I, I, I am happy to choose uh, son-in-law for my, my daughter. Yeah. We're taking applications right now. You can just line up. Uh, I, I think that's a great idea, but that's how they did it back then. They chose, you know, for them. And then, so that would happen like when they were kids, right? And then the betrothal would come up when, the, when uh, those kids would grow up to have a say in the matter. And they would say, yeah, I kind of like that choice. Or mom, I really don't like that choice, whatever. And then they would find the one that they settle on and then they would become betrothed. What that was, was a legal binding uh, relationship, just like a marriage. In fact, you may not know, but if a couple was betrothed and the man died, she was considered a widow because it was so uh, bound legally together. They were considered really married, but they were separate for a year. During that year, he would go prepare a place. He would make sure he had enough money to provide. She would prove herself to be chaste and pure in every way. And then finally, the final stages, they would become married. Well, Joseph and Mary were in the betrothal period when she became pregnant. Now, you can imagine just a scandal of this. It would be like a couple uh, posting on Facebook and Instagram, you know, all their uh, engagement pictures and their save the date. And then all of a sudden, everybody finds out later that she's pregnant and he's not the father. I mean, even today, it would be scandalous. But back then, in a small Jewish town, it was radically scandalous. 
And you can imagine the heartbreak of Joseph to anticipate why would this happen? How could this happen? I thought, Mary, you loved me and how could you do this to me? And she's pleading her case that I've been faithful to you, Joseph. And he doesn't believe her. And I'm sure all that went on in those months and weeks. What makes matters worse is that Joseph was considered a righteous man. Look at verse 19. He's called a just man in some versions. Others' versions, yours might say a righteous man. What that meant was that Joseph was known as a man who loved God, who loved the Torah, who obeyed the Word of God. Joseph more than likely wore phylacteries on his head and a prayer shawl over his shoulder. He was always faithful to give sacrifices at the right time. He was a man of conviction, a man of character, a man of resolve. He was a man that would never compromise. He was known for this. And so here is Mary, and she's pregnant. And Joseph knows he cannot marry her. A righteous man would not do that. Marry an unfaithful woman. He can't do that. He can't do it because he feels like that would break God's law. He can't do that because uh, he, he feels like that he would be uh, condoning this uh, behavior of Mary that he assumes happened. He can't do this because people might think it's his child, which he has certainly not been unfaithful to the Lord or to her. And so he's really in this quandary of what do I do? Do I love God and obey the law or do I love Mary and show compassion? See, under the law, he was required to bring Mary to her father's house and publicly say these words, I condemn you and to turn his back from her. And under certain times in Jewish history, this crime would be punishable by death. So what is he gonna do? Is he gonna embrace justice and do what the law requires, or is he gonna embrace mercy and compassion? Which, was he, which one does he love the most, Mary or God? I, by the way, I don't know what you would do. I don't know what choice you would make. I'm glad I didn't have to make this choice. And so Joseph wrestles with this, and he finally comes to a decision. Uh, you can look at it, verse 19. It says un, uh, he was unwilling to put her to shame, and he resolved to divorce her quietly. He was resolved. He made a decision. He said, I am unwilling to condemn her publicly. I'm unwilling to publicly turn my back and shame her. I don't want to do that. I love her. I'm unwilling, but I can't marry her. And so he said, what my compromise is basically I'm going to divorce her quietly. Divorce at that time was very lax. He didn't even have to give a reason for the divorce. He could just sign a few papers and put her away silently. This is what Joseph did. In his best way, he tried to embrace both justice and mercy, even at the sacrifice of his own life. Very, very much what Jesus would do for us on the cross to embrace justice and mercy at his own sacrifice. But Joseph had made this decision and then he went to sleep. And during this sleep, he is visited by an angel. And the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Uh, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he said, Joseph, this is not an ordinary child. Mary has not been unfaithful to you. God's at work here. God's at work. And, and, and this child is going to save the people from their sins. And the angel told Joseph to do two things, two directives. One was to take Mary as his wife. And then secondly, to name the baby, which is very significant. Because you have to understand, in Jewish culture, to name a child was, was reserved for the father. 
That was a father's job. You remember when Zechariah, the story of Zechariah, when Elizabeth, his wife, uh, comes up pregnant miraculously in her late years, and uh, he's unable to speak, and, and then finally they're saying, oh, we're going to name the child. He's going to be Zach, Zachariah Jr., right? Uh, ZJ, we'll call him. You know, he's going to be Zachariah Jr. And then finally he's able to speak, and he says, no, 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 his name will be John which would later become John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. It was the father's name. So most scholars believe that in Joseph naming Jesus, Joseph is in effect adopting Jesus as his own, stepping into that role as the earthly father of Jesus to care and lead and love him. And so Joseph wakes up from this, from this dream and look at what it says in verse 24. He did as the angel had commanded him. I, I like to think that maybe Joseph ran over to Mary's house when he wakes up for this dream. Bangs on the door and she comes out and he wraps her up in his arms and spins around and says, Mary, listen, I, I get it now. I understand it now. I, I, yeah, I know. An angel spoke to me too. And I know and I'm going to be here for you and I'm, gonna, I'm never going to leave you. And I'm going I'm to take care of you and this child. Uh, the Bible does not say that he did that. Maybe that's my own romantic side. Uh, hoping that he did. Maybe he did. I don't know. But what we do know he did is that he took Mary to be his wife. And he named the son Jesus. And he was a godly father to Jesus. And it cost him to do that. Everybody in his community would have told him to not do that. Everybody would have said, Joseph, don't do that. You're going to compromise yourself. You're going you're to lose your reputation. I think for the rest of his life, uh, people in his community looked at him and there were sneers and there were whispers behind his back and there were condemning glances at him oh he used to be a righteous man but then he compromised and he took this woman when he and Jesus would walk together work in their shop together there was always the talk well you know it's not really his dad in the eyes of the community Joseph lost his standing but in the eyes of his son Joseph was seen as a man of courage that embraced mercy instead of justice. That, that was kind and not condemning. That was loving and not just given to the law. One that embraced faith over fear. He's a man of great courage. I, I think, by the way, if, if I could, in some miraculous way, uh, bring Joseph down from heaven, I could say, hey, today we have a guest speaker today. His name is Joseph. And uh, Joseph, come up here and stand in the crowd and tell, tell the one thing you've learned from your experience. I think he would stand here and he would say these words. It takes courage to go God's way. It takes courage to trust God and to go his way. Even when it costs you, it's worth it. Listen, it takes courage to go God's way, and that's what God wants for you. Some of you are sitting here at this crossroads, and you're, you're wrestling with, do I stay in this marriage or not? Do I, uh, or, or do I bolt? Uh, do, uh, do, do, I, do I remain faithful to my spouse, or do I give in to temptation? Do I, do I become bold in my witness for Christ, or do I just keep my mouth shut and play along? Do I pursue the things of God, or do I... Pursue my career more than anything else. It takes courage to go God's way. It takes courage. 
So how do you get that kind of courage? What does it look like for you to live courageously for God in your time, in your day, with the decisions you have to make and the hard choices you have to make? How do you do that? Let me give you just some practical things to do today that you can think about, pray about, applying to your life. Here's the first one is this. If you want to have courage, you want to bolster your courage to go with God, <clears throat> first you need to be willing to be inconvenienced. Be willing to be inconvenienced. <clears throat> Joseph really embraced inconvenience. The easiest thing for him to do would have been say, Mary, I just can't do this with you. I love you, but I can't do this with you. And then go and start over. He kept his reputation. He'd, everything would have gone on. He would have found somebody else. People would actually have praised him for this decision. But he was willing to be inconvenienced. Listen, listen to me very carefully. Going God's way is seldom convenient. It's seldom convenient. It's seldom the easiest thing to do. Going God's way, doing God's thing is oftentimes the hard thing and yet the best thing we can do. And it takes you being willing to be inconvenienced. Let me, let me put some flesh on that. Some of you are going to next week, you're going to volunteer to do this night of hope. And you're going to take an hour and a half of your time. You're going to go drive down to this school and you're going to uh, love on people and love on kids and love on families. And, and it's going to cost you something. It's going to be inconvenient. You could be watching a ball game. You could be taking in a movie. You could be doing extra hours at work. You could be Christmas shopping. You could do lots of other things, but it's going to be inconvenient. But you're going to do that because God's called you to be salt and light in the world. It's inconvenient, but you're going to do it. Some of you have been... Uh, uh, taking the gospel to all around the world. We've had people in our church this year have taken the gospel to Peru and taken the gospel to uh, uh, Africa, have taken the gospel to Colombia, have taken the gospel to even today, we have some of our people in Guatemala right now. We, they're taking the gospel. They don't do that because it's convenient. They do it because they've been called to do it and they're willing to be inconvenienced and even to take their vacation time and their savings in order to go to take the gospel where People need to hear it. It's inconvenient, but they do it anyway. Some of you are serving, and you're serving, you're teaching a class, or you're, you're volunteering in the youth, or in kids' area, or you're, you're pouring your heart out and discipling people, you're serving God. And listen, it takes time, it takes effort, and you have to stay up late, and you have to do, give extra time, but you're willing to be inconvenienced for the things of God. Some of you are giving sacrificially. Some of you, when, when you saw the call to the big give, to give sacrificially, you did that. And you could have taken that money and bought more Christmas gifts with it, but you chose to give it to something that would matter for the kingdom. And you were willing to be inconvenienced for the things of God. Some of you are going to start new ministries. You're going to start new classes and leave the group that you're with to go start something new to reach somebody else that is yet to be reached. Some of you are going to be a part of launching new churches and leaving here and going and launching a new church. Listen, you're going to be inconvenienced for the things of God. Some of you are adopting and fostering. And you do that and your life is terribly inconvenienced by this. And yet you do it with compassion and love because God has called you to rescue the lives of, of young children. What, what am I saying? I'm saying this, that the attitude that it's not about me, that I, I'm willing to be inconvenienced now for the cause of Christ is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of spiritual maturity to say, you know what, it's not about me, it's not about my preference, it's not about what I want. This is about the kingdom. 
And the fact, let me just take that a step further and say this. If you are not being inconvenienced right now in any way for the sake of the cause of Christ, then you probably aren't doing what God's called you to do. So let me just ask you a hard question. How are you being inconvenienced by the gospel? Is there anything in your life that you're having to go out of your way for? Any way that Christ is inconveniencing you, but you're willing to do it because of what Jesus Christ has done. You say, well, Craig, hold on a minute. You know, don't come push in so hard. I mean, hey, I, in my work, I help people in my work. I, I do good things for people in my work. I'm not talking about that. You know, C.T. Scud, the great uh, leader missionary, he said this. Only one life, it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. So what's the thing you're doing with your one life? You only get one. That is passing away. What are you doing with your one life that is specifically for Jesus? That is impacting eternity? If you want to be courageous, get uncomfortable. If you want to be courageous, just get inconvenient. (laughs) And all of a sudden you'll find that in that moment when you step into that, that God will give you the courage for it. But God only gives the courage for those that step on the field, not those that stay on the sidelines or in the bleachers. Be inconvenient. Second thing I would just say is just a confidence and a a conviction that God's promises are true. You need to stand on the promises of God. Those that are, are bold really believe this Bible. They believe what it says to be true. They believe the promises that God gives them. I think Joseph really came to realize in a fresh way with the birth of Jesus how steadfast God's promises really are. See, uh, the angel told Joseph that in the birth of Jesus, this was really a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 7. In fact, in your barge of your Bible, just write Isaiah 7, and that relates to that. What's happening in Isaiah 7 is simply this. The king Ahaz is the king of Judah, and he's terrified that Israel and Syria are going to come in from the north and invade them and destroy them, and that the line of King David would be destroyed. But Isaiah the prophet promises him that God will not allow that to happen, that God is going to stand, step in, and he's going to protect them. In fact, the enemies that he fears are going to be destroyed. But King Ahaz is not a good king. He's a wicked king, and he doesn't believe God. And so Isaiah says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a sign that God is going to protect you. And so this is what he says. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he says this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. For before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land of the two kings you dread will be deserted. He said, all right, King Ahaz, I'll tell you what, because you're so afraid, I'm going to give you a sign that God is going to be with you, a sign that God is for you, a sign that God's going to protect you. Here's a sign. This young girl is going to have a baby, and as soon as that baby's old enough to know right from wrong, the people you're so afraid of aren't even going to be around anymore. That's the sign. And so if you continue reading Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah goes home to his wife. His wife has a child. Uh, They name him... Mayor Halal Shashbaz, I think is how you say that. You should use that sometime. It'd be, it'd be a great name to name your son or daughter. And, uh, and, and when this child becomes old enough to know right from wrong, 
sure enough, the enemies that he was so afraid of are gone. They're destroyed. This was a sign that God was with them, that God was protecting, that God was fighting for them. Now listen, this, this prophecy has both an immediate and a future fulfillment. There was an immediate fulfillment that was restricted, a future fulfillment that's broad, an immediate fulfillment that is temporal, a future fulfillment that's eternal. This one promise, this one sign meant something in Isaiah's time, but also means something in our time because it was a foreshadowing of another child that would be born, another child that would not be born physically, but supernaturally, another child that would not defeat armies, but defeat sin and death. Another child that would, uh, would not be a sign that God was with them, but would be, in fact, God in flesh with us. So what really the angel was telling Joseph is this. Hey, God made a promise 700 years ago, and he's making good on it. And if God makes good on his promises, you can trust him. Listen, I got, a, I got something to tell you. If you're doubting, if you're discouraged today, God stains good on his promises. God fulfills everyone. He said, well, Craig, how do you know that God fulfills his promises? For unto us a child is born. If God can make good on that promise, he can make good on any promise that he speaks into your life out of his word. Listen, I believe that there is a a relationship between courage and confidence in this book. And if you have confidence in this book, then you will live your life like a lion, courageous, trusting God. But if you don't have confidence in this book, you will always live your life doubting and discouraged and double-minded. You want courage? Trust God. You want courage? Get inconvenienced. And here's the last thing. If you want courage, be reminded that God's with you. You know, Joseph heard the words that this child was going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think that brought him great courage. I think every time Joseph looked at his son, especially in those early days when he was running from King Herod, when he was jetting off to Egypt and back, he would just look at this son and say, God is with me. The truth of the matter is God is with you if you know him. If you've given your life to Christ, then you can know that God is with you, that God is for you, that God is redeeming you, that God has changed you. But God will never leave you. That God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. He said, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Yeshua. Uh, The Lord saves. Jehovah saves. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is the meaning of Christmas, folks. The meaning of Christmas is not carols and lights, presents under the tree. The meaning of Christmas is that God loved you so much that when you sinned against him and violated his laws and turned your back on him and deserved justice, that God sent his son Jesus into this world. And that baby in the cradle became the man that hung on a cross. And he died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. That he was buried and three days later, gloriously, miraculously, supernaturally rose again from the dead, showed himself to be alive over 40 days, over 500 people even at one time, and offers to you today a new life and a new start and forgiveness and eternity with him and purpose and assurance and peace. That's the true gift of Christmas is knowing Jesus.
You see, it takes courage to go God's way. But the first courageous step is coming to faith in Christ.